Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 235, and I had a conversation with Ben Andrews. He is a former Jehovah's Witness, and he is the founder of the Seattle Film Summit. And this is great timing because from November 2nd, which has already happened by the time you listen to this, through November 22nd, the Seattle Film Summit is going strong, and you can be a part of it by going to seattlefilmsummit.com. It's a really great experience. You get to not even have to split up who your favorites are going to be. You know how when you go to a conference and you can't decide, ah, do I want to go to the A or B? I don't know. And there's only one of me. You don't have to worry about it because on Zoom, you get to go to the whole thing. It's so cool. Definitely check it out. I have a moderated panel on November 15th, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with incredibly talented people. Super excited about it. So check that out if it's something that interests you. I wanted to mention Dr. Jack Brown's episode from a couple weeks ago. He is a body language expert, and he talked about a certain, in in the beginning of the episode, he was discussing some stuff and had visual representation. I stuck that part of it on visual up on the YouTube channel at Susan Ruth's YouTube channel, which is official Susan Ruth, I think. Regardless, if I just got that wrong, which I probably did, you can find it by going to the links page on Hey Human Podcast and on Dr. Brown's episode section, you'll see the the link to the YouTube channel. I should know my own YouTube channel by heart. It's pretty sad that I don't, but what are you going to do? All right. In general news, social media, Hey Human Podcast is on Facebook and Instagram. You can find my personal Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under Susan Ruthism. If you want to know more about me in general for all the other stuff I do, music, art, acting, that kind of stuff, go to SusanRuth.com. You can find my music on iTunes and Spotify under Susan Ruth. Uh, Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Checking out the links page, as I mentioned, on heyhumanpodcast.com will give you a wealth of information about every guest I've ever had on the show. I now have a store on heyhumanpodcast.com where you can get Hey Human merch, which is really cool. And I've tested out the products and love them. It's really high quality stuff. So very happy to offer that. There's masks and leggings and notebooks and pen cases and... uh, all that and baby clothes. That's really cool. So anyway, check that out too. Thank you for listening, everybody. I really appreciate it. And uh, stay safe, be well. Here we go. Ben Andrews, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I like your space background. That's fun. Yeah, I used to have a, a for like three months during quarantine, it was a the bridge of the Starship Discovery. But after like three months, I thought, you know, I need to change it up. But the idea of being in space makes me feel a little bit better during these times. I totally understand that. So I've been reading up on gravitational waves and uh, the nature of the universe and the expansion of the universe. And it's it's a lot, but it does make you feel somewhat okay when you realize how infinitesimal you are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's very interesting. I'm, I'm in the universe in general. I always, I say it all the time. I think life is a is a practical joke, mm. um, but not in like a, a bad sort of practical joke. More of just like the ir- everything in life is irony. You know, like the the most important resource that we have as humans is time, but we can't control it. It doesn't really exist either. There's not really any such thing as time. Right, right. And just all these little ironies of, like, you know, the, the, the thing that is only assured is death, but we, we cling to life. There's just all these things that are, like, they're the opposites. And I'm like, what is the deal with the universe? Have you always been a philosopher? Oh, no, not really. Um, but I think maybe I started down that path when... I became a parent. Uh, speaking of ironies of life, because as a parent, instinctually in our DNA, it feels like the all we want to do is to protect protect our children from struggle and pain. I, 
Matter of fact, when, when your children are in pain, you do anything to take that pain from them. But the irony is for them to actually turn out to be good human beings, they need to go through a lot of suffering and they need to go through a lot of pain. So I'm kind of like, who made that practical joke in the universe? God's a Buddhist. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Let's talk about your upbringing. What were you like as a kid? Where did you grow up? I, I was born and raised in uh, Wendell, Idaho. Have you ever been to Idaho? Been to Idaho, and I don't know where Wendell is. Uh, so I was born actually in a town called Jerome. Wendell, it was like 10 minutes from Jerome, a population of a thousand people. So I was definitely that kind of cliche, you know, uh, backwater upbringing for the first 10 years of my life. And it was religious too. I was uh, raised a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, so there was a lot of isolation from, you know, the outside world and things like that. Um, but I, as a child, you know, in a small town like that, you, you spend a lot of time using your imagination. So that was my, that was my youth, using my imagination. Is it a town of Jehovah's Witness? people being such a small town and that religion is is quite insular is um i I would say at that time and this is you know a long time ago uh over 30 years ago it was mostly mormon and a smaller footprint of jehovah's witnesses and maybe uh a little bit of uh, catholicism catholics um but it was the type of community that somebody was part of a christian religion Right. Yeah, Idaho uh, is a pretty much, from my estimation, having been there and knowing people from there, it's a pretty conservative state. That backbone is certainly religious in nature. And like a lot of states, uh, there's a big difference in the portions of the state. Northern Idaho is a lot different than Southern Idaho. Like a lot of uh, Northern Idaho has a lot of history of, you know, like um, racism, a lot of those groups and stuff like that. But Southern Idaho, from my experience growing up, wasn't necessarily that like that. Hmm. They're just farmers. They were just farmers in Southern Idaho. It's like <laughs> Eastern and Western Washington, I guess. So you get more. Yeah. It is interesting yeah. to me the way states divvy up like that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that... Uh, um, you know, we, we have our country and we've got to split into 50 states, but even within those 50 states, there's just so many different identities. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rupert, are you getting, am I breaking up on you at all or getting feedback? No. Whatever nebula Perfect. that is, it's got good reception. <laughs> well, you know, I asked the alien around the corner and he said this part of the galaxy was where the best reception was at. So. got to be at Starbucks or something, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Uh, what do you have a lot of recollection of growing up Jehovah's Witness and what that meant to you at the time or what your family was like? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, one of the things that was really unique about that religion that at first I, I had a lot of anger over, but in hindsight, uh, I have, a, I've, I found my appreciation, um, but there was a lot of isolation from worldly things music and movies because that's all the world you know where whereas within the the safety of the religious box um the only true believers you know religions are like that like everybody else is bad and we're good and there was uh so there was a lot of isolation from art uh music all those things but the the one thing that that I loved, uh, actually during it, I hated, but we had to go out in the ministry a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean like two hours on Saturday, one hour on Sunday, sometimes three to four hours through the week. So we'd average between five and seven hours a week, just knocking on the doors of people that did not want us at those doors. Even as a child, you did that? From my earliest memories, like it sounds so dangerous. Well, I mean, it's a. Di- I'm 45, so it's a different world then, right? And it's Idaho. Um, and matter of fact, I think Jehovah's Witnesses have stopped going door to door. I think they just do like bus stops and train stations and stuff like that. But 
the unique thing that came out of it was that you know, have you ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Yeah. So I, I think the basis of this rule is that you spend 10,000 hours in anything, you can, you're become a master of it. 10,000 hours in Kung Fu and you're a master Kung Fu artist. Uh, so I, from the age of at least four to 27, seven hours a week, uh, I did the math and I think I've been between 30 and 40,000 doors of people, 90% didn't want me at that door. And it was every, it was every type of person, young, old, black, white, red, yellow, like, you know, you male, female. So you get to, you get to really learn humanity when you're going to that many people who are strangers. Uh, And so now I look back and look at it as like, wow, like that's kind of a, a gift that I was given to really understand the way everybody thinks. Did you have success with that? I, I often wondered when people come to my door, I, I think, gosh, I wonder how many people are invited in to have that conversation. Because there are a lot of different groups that do the door-to-door thing, the Mormons, the Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses. There's uh, offshoots of like Hare Krishna does that a little bit. There's a, you know, there's a handful of... By the way, par- mm-hmm. apologies for the, that weird sound. That's my AC struggling to work. I'm not hearing <laughs> okay, it. Okay, good, good. good. <clears throat> but did you, do you have any sort of recollection of um, people going, oh yeah, come in and talk, let's do this? Oh, it was most definitely the lower percentage. Yeah. Uh, definitely. But you also, you would run into different types of like categories, right? You have people that were actually lost in life and wanting answers and they were so maybe they were going through bad circumstances and they wanted the opportunity to learn of a new path or something but then you had um people who were just lonely like this world is a lonely world and that they they could they'd invite you and say oh let's talk but you know i'm not going to change my faith but i'd love to talk to you about it (laughs) so there was a lot of conversations um but yeah, definitely the lower percentage. And some people wanted to argue, uh, and some people were very closed off right off the bat. But then that was another thing that was interesting to learn is when you're going to a door and you know the, that math says the, the larger percentage here is going to be somebody angry or going to not want to talk, you come up with creative ways to get them to open up. And that's just being observant of something in their yard or you know the toys or when they open the door if there's a a statue and behind them of a of a gladiator then you you know you you be observant and you bring up these things like well that's a fascinating statue where'd you get that and then then they want to talk about something that you know is important to them interesting like oh yeah sorry yeah no, no. So, so it teaches you how to find ways to engage with people. It almost feels like uh, mentalist skills, like developing mentalist skills of noticing the minutia that other people maybe don't notice around them. You know. Yeah, there's definitely a little bit of that. Definitely a little bit of that. Did you? Especially. How old were you when you left the teachings or the church? Oh, I was 27. Oh man, you so- stayed in a long time. Man, you, man, you have no idea. <laughs> Did your whole There's family a, have an exodus, or was it some, was it just you? Uh, my father exited first. Um, you know, I was. I think my parents got divorced when I was like ten, and he got in trouble uh, with the church and and left. But he always, even though he left, he still felt it was the truth, and encouraged us to go. What and did he so do? We, what was his trouble? Uh, I think infidelity, you know, like in you know religion like that. He he was he slept with somebody else, and um, it's a very it's a very rigid. Matter of fact, I'll overshare here a little bit. Uh, the uh, like he's no no sex before marriage, no drinking, no drugs, no smoking. Like like it's very stringent. Like your body is your temple, so you have to respect it. Um, and yeah, I think for me personally. I remember the first, 
I'm diving deep already. The uh, the first time I had sex was like 21, and we, I was engaged, but we totally broke the rules rules, and we had sex, and we got in trouble, and I got reprimanded. And at that time, I was 21. I was actually uh, becoming kind of a leader in the congregation. They had, the, I think they called them ministerial servants, and that was just before you became an elder. So I was kind of on this path. I didn't I know that you had had sex. Because God knows everything. Yeah. We can't hide it. So we have to go tell on ourselves. Like, that's just how it works. Um, but I remember it was such a traumatic experience for me. Like, other things happened. I didn't end up, um, you know, marrying this this girl or anything like that. But I was so messed up with that experience that it, I was 27 the second time I had sex. And I was like, man, this religion has just damaged me, man. <laughs> what did you do for those six years in between? Because you're not allowed to masturbate either, right? Uh, you're not allowed to masturbate, but that doesn't mean you, you know, every once in a while you're just like, ah, I gotta do this. Uh, and I kissed a lot of girls. It definitely taught me a lot of self-control. I bet. Um, yeah. Well, that's that's kind of so, hot, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting now. Uh, definitely, when I left the religion and I started dating, um, it was funny because I had a unique approach to my relationships and sex. Right, like if sex is off the table for so long, then you go back to those skill sets where, like, oh, listening and retaining information that a woman, uh, you know, tells you is very valuable. It's like, oh. They, they appreciate that, <laughs> you know? And so, um, so I remember my the first time I started dating my wife, like, you know, the first, I want to say in the first month, she was ready to have sex. And I'm like, hey, no, just pump the brakes here. Like, let's, let's, let's just get to know each other and, and, and slowly take that path. And she looked at me like, what are you, a fucking weirdo? <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, was it hard to overcome that? all that programming then to have a healthy sexual relationship with your wife when that when it was ready to blossom that's a good question i i would say it's been a journey to overcome all the programming and that's like that's a a lot of there was good programming but there's bad programming right like for example good programming within this religion was I was born and raised to, to believe that all men were equal, all men and women, right? So this religion had 300, Jehovah's Witnesses are in 350 countries in the world. And we go to these international conventions where 40,000 people would show up from 60 languages and you couldn't even speak each other's languages. And, but you'd be walking up to strangers and hugging and loving. So there was a, a beautiful thing within within that religion as far as the equality of man and a lack of control over each other just appreciation for the human soul so even so over women was, though isn't it a patriarchal religion well i think that there's only male leaders in the congregation and there was probably some of that happening just by the nature of the patriarchy dominating whatever they can dominate but it wasn't definite it wasn't anything that i remember being significant like it wasn't don't talk until you're spoken to or um so so even with women i was raised to believe everybody was equal so that, that was that was a good thing definitely Did you, uh, so, do you have siblings i have one a sister yeah okay yeah and she's a little bit she's like five or six years older than me oh, is she in the yeah. Uh, she still she left and then went back. She's there now, actually. Yeah. Is, does that put a strain on your relationship with her? Oh no, no. Um, we don't really talk about it. She's technically not supposed to talk to me because I'm one of the like they call it disfellowshipped. I'm not supposed to be in their ranks. But but the flip side of that, though, speaking of unpacking, like is uh, homosexuality for example i was raised to believe that homosexuality was just a horrible horrible thing uh, and even though i you know was raised to, 
to teach or to treat everybody equal and all that stuff. Homosexuality was like, oh, 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 they're, you know, they just create this wall that you can't even, you know, if, if a homosexual is trying to talk to you, that means they're going to try to defile you. Like just stupid shit. Right. So unpacking that over the years as quickly as possible. And it's funny now because uh, my wife and I, like that's our, that's our biggest friendship circle now. Uh, so, but it, it makes me in many ways, I, I guess it's just that brainwashing, you know, you, you go, you look back and you can't look back with regret because there's nothing you can do to control it. But you look back and you wish, you wish enlightenment about certain things would have happened far earlier than they did. Uh, your wife is not Jehovah's Witness, I assume, or had not been. No, no, but her father was a, um, a pastor so she's a pk pastor's kid mm-hmm. and and uh that comes so she, its own kind of understanding i suppose yeah yeah it's, it's a little bit of a bond it's a little bit of uh uh understanding that in the initial part of our lives we're not on the course that we wanted to be we we're on a course that we were put on and that other people treated us differently because of that so yeah and is your that might been, oh sorry go ahead no, no, you're good. You're good. Sorry, there's such a delay. It's hard to sometimes to not interrupt somebody. I apologize. Um, is your mother Jehovah's Witness still? She's not practicing, mm-hmm. but I think that there's core things to it that that she believes are the truth. How does that relationship then, the, growing up with all of that in your purview, and now you have children? When they come to you and say, how old are your kids? 12 and 8. So they're at an age where existential, <laughs> existentialism creeps in and the nature of the universe and God and death and life and all those things. I mean, even younger, obviously, kids start thinking about that stuff. How do you deal with that? Well, I'll tell you, I got lucky because I came up with the perfect cop-out. <laughs> Uh, so you have to understand one uh, I had the, the baggage and the frustration of going you, you know my our parents are the closest thing to God that we have growing up initially so everything that comes out of their mouth has, has so much weight to it which is a testament to why the world's so effed up because you know we're just passing down biases and anger and frustration and we don't know any better uh, so Fortunately for me, I knew that right off the bat that even that even my beliefs are just personal to me and I have no right to put that onto somebody else. I have the right to protect my children. I have the right to put them on a course, but I have no right to give them my beliefs. So with my son, right off the bat, I would if he, right around six between six and eight is when you start getting, do you have any kids? No, I do not. But I remember being a kid and asking the question. Yeah. I was five. Yeah. See, right around those, like, between five, eight, ten, when you start getting the, why Why do people kill each other? Why, why is there death? <laughs> and you're like, um, so with my son, I said, I, I, and I don't, this just magically, like, appeared to me. I don't know how it happened. I said, I'm going to give you three answers to every question you'll ever ask me that's important. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay. I'm like, so I'm going to give you answer number one is the general belief of the culture that you're in. The people around you that walk on the streets or the religion around, this is kind of what they believe. Number two, I'll give, I'll give you my opinion. And I emphasize just my opinion. And number three, I'll ask him uh, if if you had no other information, what would your gut say about that question that you just asked me? And then he'll he would come up with some words, you know, about you know, I think people are good, everybody's good, and they deserve. And I say, well, now you're armed to come up with your own for your your own answer. Right. Uh, and we started that pretty young. And with both of them, because Maddie, my daughter, is going through that now, um, I've just been pretty lucky because they, they have found their own 
root in their own beliefs pretty early. So they don't, I mean, they're, they're, they know that being respectful to every human is very important and that you, that's the biggest thing I give them, respect to every human around them. And before you, when you're working with people or in a room with people, you facilitate their comfort before you facilitate your comfort. And so they've ran with that and they do pretty good. I think uh, that's fantastic parenting. That's, I mean, my listeners have heard this a million times. That's what my parents, I came home, I said, who's this Jesus guy? And they said, well, these are the major and minor religions. You know, this yeah. is what, what we think, but we don't get to tell you who you are. That's your journey and we'll support it, whatever that is. And I ran with that and studied yeah. all the things. So... I, I, I'm not saying that parenting another way is wrong, but as far as I think it really uh, embraces the curious mind by by admitting that we don't know everything, that we believe something or have faith in something, faith and, and knowledge, those are two separate entities, really. Amen. So, but I think that's good. I'm sure your kids are super interesting. I love kids. Yeah. I think they're fascinating to talk to. God, they're the only thing that's right in the world until we fuck them up. Until, yeah, until we mess them up. Yeah. Uh, do you believe in God now as an adult? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm, I do, but not in any concept that we have put him out there in. I think the universe is so beyond understanding, so beyond complexity, that it's very naive of us as a species to assign a gender, assign a personality, to assign emotion like love or anger or jealousness. Like those are human things. And you're going to say that this vast creator who did all these universal things experiences the love the way we understand it I, I i think that's you know it's a little naive of us have you ever read the book some by david eagleman no i bet you'd like that a lot it's a series of essays he wrote about what the nature of god could be and he's a he's a neuroscientist i love him uh and it's it's a really great book of short short essays I feel like oh. he, he hypothesized all these different scenarios for the nature of God. It's pretty awesome. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'll read that. I like those. Like I like that kind of the four agreements. And matter of fact, I will tell you. <laughs> so we all we all had our like quarantine thing, right? Like I didn't watch any Netflix while I was in quarantine. But what I did do is. There was this stupid book, and I was uh, I'm I do a little hobby writing, so I went down this lane. I'm going to do some research in this book called Babylon Rising, and it, it's basically uh, a guy who is an archaeologist. Uh, you know, he he's got PhDs in all these, not just archaeology, but in religion, and he's he's studied all these things. Like I can't even remember all of them, but he is basically talking about the angels and the Nephilim. Uh, you're, you're, you've heard of the Nephilim, yes. right? Yes. So there's this whole subset uh, of this whole culture of people that believe there is a massive conspiracy that has gone on through time. Uh, so I just went down this lane of reading all these books about recorded history of the Nephilim and they're taking all this evidence and and it's really weird. It's really weird. We've what got this conspiracy whole theory around the Nephilim. Well, the Nephilim uh, are giants, right? And I always translated that as well, giants of like maybe they're not necessarily literal giants. Maybe they were just giants of men. And, and for the just to catch your audience up or who don't know what the Nephilim are, uh, essentially in the Book of Genesis, uh, the angels came down some of them came down to the earth and they're like hey we want to be with mankind uh and it says the 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 bible which you know could be a male dominated patriarchy thing says they slept with the daughters of men but the idea is that they slept with man uh and that could be different right that could be angelic figures turning into females and 
men, you know, sleeping with them. But the bottom line is they created this, um, this half breed culture and they caused ruin on the earth according to the scriptures. But when you start comparing it to all the ideologies and the, like the, the different religions across the world, there's this thorough line and there's also a missing piece of our history. Like you have recorded history on the planet that started about 7,000 years ago. And that's when I say recorded history, that's basically when we have documents that some human at some point started writing. But there is this gap of a few thousand years before it where we have create like there is architecture that is still on this planet that that we can't understand yet it predates seven thousand years ago. So there's just, just some missing stuff that's that happened. There are some people that hypothesize that those beings were alien, an alien race. Yes. That's part of what I went down to, which was that lane, which is, and that they're still, they're still here. They're still like, for example, um, alien abductions might not necessarily be aliens. Just what, why are they experimenting with humans? Uh, and, and part of that conspiracy theory was that they lost their ability to materialize so the, these aliens themselves might be the Nephilim that lost their ability to materialize. And so now they're just doing genetic experience, finding bodies to put themselves in, to inhabit, to possess. I, it's so it's so deep and I'm not that kind of wacko, <laughs> but I'm so fascinated with these things. Are you writing a story about it? I, I have a... a oh, where'd you go? He fell off the universe. He fell off the universe! You asked the wrong question. It is flat. All of it, it's flat. Everything. <laughs> yeah, I start actually as therapy for myself uh, because when I, when I left the religion, it was about two or three years later, I, I was like, I need some creativity. That's what's missing in my life. And so I started um, learning how to be an actor learning entertainment industry lanes um and i started writing a script uh, and i'm a big sci-fi geek right sci-fi fantasy all that stuff so yeah i started right yeah so i started writing this story that was really even though it was a a, a sci it's a it's a post-apocalyptic vampire film actually uh and i for many years, I laughed telling people the story. I'm writing a post-apocalyptic vampire film, which was really about, uh, you know, mankind wipes themselves out in a final war, and then these creatures of myth come out in hiding, and because the war, I don't go into the war, but it blocks out the sun. And so vampires get 24-7, and it only takes them a few years to kind of consolidate and, and now being the dominant species of the planet. But the backbone of what the story is, is about religious domination. And so what the vampires would have did in this script, which not a peop it's not been done really that I have seen. I gave the, the vampires a very rich religious history. And what they are doing is based upon their own prophecies and their own inheritance and their own promised land. So it's really, a, it's, a, it's a story about two religions warring against each other. It makes perfect uh, sense to me that religions yeah. would be, or that, sorry, that, that vampires would be steeped in a deep religious belief. It seems, yes. it seems absolutely fitting. And much like uh, Islam and Christianity, where, you know, Abraham, like, it's a very thin line between those two. Abraham had two sons and one decided to make Islam and one decided to make yes. uh, Judaism. Uh, and so this story is very similar to that. There's a there's a split. There's something that happens when the angels come down to to uh, fight on the planet. Well, the immortals. So vampires are immortal, as are the celestial beings. In in theory. Yeah. So so that's the the big difference of this the thing that I've been writing. Ooh, I would love to see that. Are you going to make it? <laughs> well, I've been writing. It's so funny because I I wrote it. 10 years ago right and I started out as a feature film and I didn't know how to write so there was the story was cool but the writing was bad um, 
And then I started learning how to become a writer. And then I didn't, it's been tough for me to show, like I'm an actor and I've been on hundreds of sets and I, at this point I've directed and I've, I've done a lot of things. Uh, and this is still one thing where I'm just, it's, it's been really weird because it's really close to me, right? It's That's really scary. close to yeah, me. Yeah, sure. And the story literally is about this uh, priest <laughs> in, in a, the post-apocalyptic world and he's running this rag, raggedy church and he's telling people that this is God's final test. It's God's final test. We can't fight the vampires because, you know, this is how we prove we, that we give given up all hope and then he's going to come and rescue us. And he doesn't believe this shit, but he gave this oath to his dying father. And so, uh, you know, he, he's conflicted. He's conflicted. And as a dude, it's just, it, it's really about my journey. I'm like, I, I know this is what I'm teaching, but it doesn't fit. Uh, and then I, you know, tie in a bunch of supernatural shit. And Love it. A, and angelic bloodlines and, and stuff like that. But Please the, write the it. Finish it. <laughs> Well, I, I turned it into a feature, and then finally, about four years ago, I shared it with some friends in L.A., and then bounced around with some producers. The biggest thing that I got was <clears throat> we've never seen anybody flush out such a religious belief for vampires, um, and I got some notes, and then in the last two or three years, I started surrounding myself with some writers that um, you know are, are fantastic writers and have been really guiding me to it and then I switched it to a, a series oh. so now it's a, now it's down to the um, I'm almost done with the pilot episode but, but yeah it's it's definitely all about my beliefs in the universe so it's personal and it's uh, anyway that, that's why I uh, I did all this research during quarantine on Nephilim and that's the other thing the Nephilim uh, before I go too much further down this lane like when you start researching all these things from different countries and and different religious beliefs like you start looking at zeus and apollo and all those gods that were half god and half like there's your map to our planetary history right there yeah zeus was pretty randy he loved having sex with mortals lot of half gods, a lot of demigods roaming around in the and one of the yeah one of the um that's that's the main lane and i would say it resonates as truthful for for me too is like if the angels came down and had nephilim and the angels i'm not saying angels are necessarily the way we believe angels to be they these may not be the angelic sons and daughters of god this Basically, they're the aliens, right? Whether they're angels or aliens, they came to the planet and they intermixed with us. But the Nephilim, Zeus, I mean, if Zeus isn't a Nephilim, I don't know what is. Well, the Titans, if, look at the Titans. Oh, the Titans, yeah. Well, and that's what's so weird too, is is in that book, um, well, in three of the four books I've read, uh, the the original Nephilim were super tall, right? Like, I'm not talking like eight feet. I'm talking about 60 to 70 feet. And then through generations, they started losing stature. And, they started and smoking. They started smoking, yeah. And it's interesting is they throw in scientific facts and ask why could this have shifted something? For example, we know of the flood, right? Like whether the flood is truthful or not, well, we don't know. Every major religion and a few minor ones have a flood story as way before Jesus came, came along. Absolutely. And then within these books, they talk about, well, if a flood came, could, would that have changed the atmosphere of the planet? Mm -hmm. Was the atmosphere of the planet different before this canopy of water was dumped down? Like, could have certain creatures have survived? And then after the flood, they couldn't have flood and well, couldn't the have survived. Earth, the planet was super duper duper hot when it was created, and it went through a processes of cooling and heating and cooling and heating a few times. We're in the fifth or sixth great extinction now, right? So that's weird it's to wrap your brain around, right? I, it's it's fascinating, and then 
Have you yeah, ever seen anything uh, extraterrestrial in nature or, or UFO-esque? Have I personally? Yeah. Um, I've had a, a, a couple of experiences, but they weren't strong enough for me to be like telling the story when I was drunk at a party. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And there were things that I would say, I would question my own. It wasn't clear enough. So I would question my own realization of the situation. Like, for example, um, remember back in the day when VCRs had the blinking light? Sure. Do you remember that? I don't know. You're probably too young for that. But the, the, blinking, like, the blinking 12 that grandma and grandpa couldn't yeah. figure out how to fix? Yep. <laughs> I was having a slumber party one night and I woke up uh, and and there there was the blinking light and it was the only light in the room and then suddenly the blinking light had an outline like somebody had stepped in front of the vcr so the light was coming around them but there was nobody there and i was like well that's pretty damn weird <laughs> and then it just walked out of the room uh so and i had like a shaking bed incident once where the bed was shaking, but I was dreaming and I woke up and I, it was simmering down, but I don't know if it was a you know what I mean? Like some of these things, you really have to question your own. Our senses can do some really crazy things when they want to. Kids are pretty open. I, I feel like you've got prime examples of things that might go bump in the night just by asking kids what they experience. My friend Sam once heard his, uh, he has two kids, he once heard his young daughter talking to someone in, in articulately in complete sentences and with enough pause as if someone was responding to her. And I remember we were, we were heading to a gig somewhere and he said, you've got to listen to this. And he played it to me on his iPhone. He had recorded it outside the, the hallway. And she was talking, and this was before Stranger Things had come out. She was talking to the upside down people who she, you know, she said that they were walking on her ceiling and they were yucky people and they were telling her bad things about people and she was telling them to go away. And enough spaces they were responding to her. He said, again, as I listened to it, I had all the hair on my arms stood up. It was wild. You're giving me chills. You're giving me chills right now. Yeah, it was wild. It's wild. Yeah, I, I don't question any of that stuff. There's, if there's one thing I do understand about humanity is that um, it's so important for us to explain everything. Mm -hmm. Like that's we need to have understanding for everything. So for generations and generations, we have built this false reality around ourselves that is. And what if that's the matrix? What if? I, I was thinking about this, you know, what if we've manifested all of the things into being that we believe in? What if, that's the idea that you are God, right? Yahweh, I am. If, if I am God, if you are God, and everything that we've ever spoken or thought is, is our reality as we go, that's, that's a big mind fuck, really. <laughs> That I've it's, created it's, you as much as you've created me. This conversation we're having didn't exist <clears throat> until we brought it into creation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I, I've, I've thought not specifically that, but I, I mean, we're, we're an avatar within an avatar within an avatar within an avatar is like lanes I've gone down. Yeah, even if a god never existed or a multitude of gods, if a pantheon never existed... If, if I'm a person in ancient times or, or prehistoric times looking up at the sky and seeing lightning and to my mind I need a reason for that and I say, oh, a god, and then Gorp and, and you know, oof, all say the same thing, then we are manifesting God into being and then God just is because you could call that faith or I don't know, I think about this stuff a lot. Yeah, I I do too, and I but I've only done it in the second half of my life, right? Because I had I had the picture the first half of my life, 
Yeah. So it's it's interesting to go. Oh shit! Gonna unravel that and yeah. Were you scared I, I of God tell, as a kid? Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Christian God is, you know, a pretty scary God. I mean, I know he's a God of love, but man, in the Bible, when you piss him off, he does some. And then not just a Christian a smote God. thing going on. He's a smote machine. <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, like, I mean, thank God Christianity came along and Jesus came along because he was like, God's a little bit more chill now. But the Hebrew God? Yeah. Boy, if you were if you were a woman and a child affiliated with a false God, it did throw you off a cliff. Yeah. The, 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 J- the Judeo-Christian Old Testament, I mean, that God was like a petulant child in a lot of ways. I think. Absolutely. There's instances within our own Bible where hum- a human says, whoa, God, like, you don't need to go kill all of them. Let me just try to do my thing. He's like, okay, fine. You get five minutes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, but that's not... It reminds me of not- that Twilight... I think I've talked about this on the show, too, that Twilight Zone with that little kid that could send people out into the cornfield. <laughs> yeah... That was creepy. It was a demigod. That child was a demigod. Yeah. Yeah. A wackadoodle. Well, I, I, you were going to say something a second ago. I cut you off. No, I don't know. But the point is, is that, uh, like, I, I wouldn't be... If somebody came and said, oh, yeah, you know, um, this is all a false reality and blah, blah, blah. I can, like, nothing would surprise me. Yeah. It's so complex. It's the universe. And when you start getting out, like the fact that we're this entity, but below the grains of salt or grains of sand is another, like the size (laughs) down to atoms all the way up to a universe that's so large, we can't comprehend either way. And the universe is expanding. It's not even reached its full potential. As have we have not either. Right. Yeah, I, I um, it's hard for me to believe in. Like, I think the the part that really throws me is that we as a species, let's just go back to to recorded history again. Seven thousand years, you know, like you've got all these empires that started the, the Babylonians, the Syrians, the Egyptians, and the Romans, and right up through time, we haven't learned shit. Right. The ego is the most powerful god of them all. <laughs> we are going to kill. If you oppose us, we are going to fight if you have a different opinion. And we are going to... It's just like, yeah, this ego thing, man. I know. It's, it's a big burden. It would be, and, and what would this world do with a spiritual awakening? I, I can't even wrap my brain around that. Like if everybody woke it up one day and the, the, the fifth sun came out and it was a spiritual like, oh, well, hi. <laughs> you know, oh, I, like, I mean, I, we... I've argued that we've uh, already knocked off many of our uh, second comings, third comings, fourth comings. There are plenty of people that have come uh, since Jesus who have, spoken about peace and love and you know we assassinate them left and right that's just sort of our thing yeah isn't that weird yeah what what i really want to know is uh because i think that we give one of the interesting things for me and i'm going to say this very candidly is growing up in an isolated religion like that i always made this assumption that um politicians or council members or religious leaders or rich people were all very very smart and had their shit together and that's why they climb the ladder right because they they they've put in their time and then now that i'm older and i've i've had experience with so many like senators and 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 rich people and i've been in and out of these circles uh, i'm just like Oh, we're all we're all a bunch of idiots. <laughs> we're all, like we're all a bunch of idiots, uh, which makes me go back to this. Like, is there this echelon? What do they call it? The what's the the circle? The Illuminati. Like, is there this 
there's this group of people that are just keeping a con- a collective seal on humanity. I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think we're smart enough. <laughs> it, it does, yeah. It, it does seem hard to believe that that there could be a handful of people, but maybe those are the aliens. Who knows? Uh, you know, it's fun to to think about. I I look at the people that know how to move up through the ranks in politics and and finance and business and all that. The ones that are really the upper 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 echelon sociopaths. Basically, I mean, they can get to where they're going, and I'm. It's not a criticism. <laughs> it's just to no. get to that level, there needs to be a single-minded focus that other people around you are inconsequential to your own achievement and goal. Yeah, have you ever read The Sociopath Next Door? No, it sounds great. Well, basically, that is just um, Is saying- it about my mom? Maybe about all of our moms. Uh, I'll just say that it's saying that the percentage of sociopaths in this world are a lot more than we think. Absolutely. And narcissists, my God. I mean, it's it's pretty hard to not be a narcissist these days. The, yeah. The world will gobble you up and spit you out. But, but capitalism, capitalism is literally... The training ground for sociopathic behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I'm not like you said, not to be judgmental. I, I believe there are sociopaths out there that don't do bad things. Of course, of course. They don't do bad things, but uh, you're Other absolutely than not give a shit about the people around them in order to achieve their goals. But that's that's you know a lack of empathy can be really probably quite handy. I, I believe. Do you want I to say hi? I don't have a grip on that, but... Oh, is somebody coming to say yeah. hello? I've got a visitor real quick. Hurry, what do you need? Is it alien? <laughs> this is a little alien. Come say hi, little alien. Hello. <laughs> I'm Susan. She's sweating. Are you all hot? I'm sweating, <laughs> too. We're all sweating. Um, it's real hot. See if we could buy space pirates. Okay, we will. Can I finish space this? Space pirates? Yes. <laughs> Love it. They had a... Um, my son who's been wanting an Oculus since the beginning of quarantine. He finally came in today, so he's very excited. That is very cool. I want to ask you about the the film stuff, Seattle Film Summit. Are you the founder of that? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. How did that come out? (laughs) Speaking of sociopaths... (laughs) uh, Are you a sociopath? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I, I sometimes I wish I was because uh, I care a little too much sometimes. It does not help my life. Uh, mm-hmm. But th- that's a whole different. What's the opposite of a sociopath? That's also not a good thing. An empath, I guess. Yeah. So empath, like, for example, it's not really good to be an empathic human in the last, uh, let's just say, three months. I cried at Trader I'm Joe's not- today. <laughs> Girl, I cry like three times a week. I mean, I have good weeks, but I'm just... Anyway. I get it. So you got to find your balance. But uh, you got to think of it like... I didn't quite explain this yet, but I had no art when I was a child. And I had learning disabilities. And I had insecurities and I had fears that were just overwhelming and around 30 when I took on I said I want to explore this creative world I I kid you not some of these disabilities went away from my experiences with creativity I had lots of dyslexia uh, and I had really poor memory and for some weird reason a lot and I I don't necessarily think that my dyslexia or my dis, my learning abilities was like a broken vessel in my brain. I think it had to do with the fact of all this insecurity and not being aligned properly with who I was supposed to be that manifested itself in disabilities. Um, and so, and that's just for me personally, I'm not saying that's how it is with everybody, but when I five years into creativity man it was like this massive alignment 
And so creativity is my God right now. Like it's the one thing that saved my life. So I, it's like, that's what I do now is I preach the gospel of creativity. And so in 2013, I started the Seattle Film Summit and the film industry here in the state of Washington is really anemic. It's not a strong film industry, but even within that industry, there's so many little pocket silos of, you know, we're not going to share our 40 members because you might want to steal them with your organization. And there was so much leveraging and it's a very anemic film industry. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, we need to come together and build a community if we're ever going to compete. So that was the myth, like the mentality of starting the Seattle Film Summit. And I, I did, I called it the Seattle Film Summit because I wanted everybody, like it wasn't a writer's thing. It wasn't an actor's thing. It wasn't a crew thing. It was everybody, like everybody come together. And so in 2013, it was like 120 people, uh, the Northwest Film Forum, and just, just a day of classes. And then it's slowly grown. And then fast forward to 2019, we had close to a thousand people. It was a two day event. We had film offices from across the country come in. We had distributors and producer reps. We had uh, showrunners from like um, Jack Ryan on Amazon, the showrunner Luke Cage on Netflix. We had one of the original writers of uh, Star Wars from Lucasfilm. So we just had this really cool eclectic balance of opportunity networking and all that. And so, um, yeah, that's been... That's been my life is uh, just bringing creatives together and trying to give them opportunity. That's what you want. You just want opportunity as a creative. You want opportunity for your voice to go to the next level, whatever that may be. It's different for different people. But um, but yeah, even now it's evolving for 2020. It's evolved. I haven't told anybody this publicly yet. So you're like the first. But um I'm kind of now evolving it into a, it's not just the film industry. The film industry should lead it because the film industry encompasses about 30 different creative silos. But I'm working on this endeavor with a bunch of people to really up the social and political influence of artists. Basically, we need to come together to support each other. We can't be in our isolated creative lanes. We, we've got to up our numbers. And we also have to worry about things that other industries don't like the creative industries. They need, not only does it need to be education and opportunity and networking, but there needs to be a mental health lane because we as creatives, we're not on the freeway. We've taken a side road. We've taken a gravel road and the freeways flying by us. And we're like, well, we're going to go on, on the gravel free, on the gravel road. And our parents and our friends tell you, oh, you're going to be a starving artist. And you're not going to get like, so we got so much damage. Yeah. But we also absorb the world differently. And we give authentic voice to the world. And so we need to we need to up our street cred is what it comes down to. So I'm working on uh, um, some partnerships where I like to call it a, uh, look at this, I'm out of focus because I'm talking too much. Um, we, we need to up the street cred. Like I believe that creatives, if they could, if they could get control of, I'm not even going to go back. There it is. If, if we could become a little bit more stable, and this, that's a very loose term. But if we could get our shit together and organize, uh, I think that we could do a lot more good for the world than we currently are. What is it that Robin Williams said about the spark of madness and we mustn't lose it? We're all given the spark of madness. I don't know, but I love that. Yeah. I think that's, that's wonderful. So, so will there be a will there be a 2021 summit post COVID? There's going to be a uh, 20. 20 summit oh. in November. That's we have yet to admit. Yeah, yeah, we spent a lot of 
that's so funny my camera yeah your camera anyway. went all blurry or maybe my eyesight went blurry in the last 20 minutes no my camera <laughs> as soon as i started showing my authentic self it didn't know what to focus on that's right you became part of the universe behind you the nebula behind you all right so 2020 november summit yeah so september 1st we're gonna announce it it used to be a two-day thing and now we're just gonna do it from november 1st to november 22nd screenings classes networking sessions all online of course um but yeah we're we're gonna push through it i'll and put then, all that information on the links page on hey humans hey human podcast.com i'll make sure all those links are there thank you yeah the uh one of the other the things i'm super proud of it is where we because there's so many different things one of the things we were struggling the when it comes to events let me just back up right now like the reason you have to charge money for these things is because you have lots of overhead right so for example in 2019 they built this hotel here in washington right on lake lake washington in renton of all places but to me it's one of the most beautiful hotels i've ever been in and so we put it in this hotel it's a high regency hyatt and but it's like 80 grand right so so now you have to have sponsorships and you have to have costs to cover this hundred thousand dollars worth of expenses so the the advantage of 2020 is that you take when you take all those ex expenses off the table you can offer the same value but now you can just drop the prices right and so uh i'm, I'm pretty excited about we were like, how do we bundle the pitch panels and the distribution packets and all these things? So we're going to just offer the whole thing for like a hundred bucks and then students get it for like 75 bucks. And then we have a, a COVID exception ticket, which means, hey, are you really, really struggling? Email us. And then, you know, it's just a bunch of marketing things like like subscribe to our youtube page like our facebook page share a couple posts and then you get you know for 40 bucks you can have it all so that's great so i feel and again this, this none of this has been announced yet so uh we just kind of all locked this down the last week or so but i'm that oh, was a weight right. off you're gonna announce it now <laughs> yep yep it doesn't matter. The world's changed. I can do what I want. I don't have to follow marketing procedures. Well, that's exciting. Um, where else can people find you if they want to reach out or, or your social medias and things like that? What's the best place for them to go looking? Uh, the, um, IMDB. I'm on IMDB. Ben Andrews. Uh, the social media. Uh, I'm Ben Andrews on Facebook. See here, I'm I'm old, so I'm not really good with the social media. Well, SeattleFilmSummit.com. Seattle yeah, SeattleFilmSummit.com. Summit on Facebook is definitely. Uh, we do this uh, weekly live stream called "Filling the Void," uh, and you can just search "Filling the Void" on YouTube, and you can find it. And that's all about. That started up just before quarantine or just during quarantine to give artists a, a platform to come and talk about how we as artists will handle the end of the world, not the end of the world. But, I love it. You know, if you need any speakers, I've been on a few panels uh, in my day. Good. Yeah. Consider yourself in. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And, uh, if you, uh, we should get you as a speaker at the summit too. I would like that. hundred percent. Yes. Without even, I would, I, I'm a, a big, um, we've, even within artistic lanes, we've been taught how to stay within the guide, right? Within the box. And that's not what art's about to me. Like there's certain foundations and principles you should apply, but somebody like you, I think is really about understanding that the universe is just, we should explore and, and we can use our art to explore that universe. So I think that there's a, a really cool panel. It's yeah. hard as fuck to be a creative in the world today, but it, it's none of us get into it because we think we're going to be gajillion. Some of us do, I guess. We're some, going to be some. super rich, but that's not really why you do it. You do it because you can't not do it. 
how do you not do it? How? I, I do not know the answer to that. And trust me, if I did, I'd be like, can you put it straight in my veins? If, right. Please, give me normalcy. <laughs> but normalcy is just not who we are. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, my buddy and I uh, manage a couple actors uh, and we for a long time we were kind of managing this pipeline from actors from Washington to LA prepping them up and then giving them a safe landing in LA so they didn't just have to start from zero we had agents uh, or managers that we could just give auditions to um, but I'll tell you I every actor I have ever talked to or taught classes for I was just like just don't don't if there's any way you can not do it, like if you can be anything else than an actor or, and I'm saying actor in this example, but I mean, as a creative, uh, you need to understand if you're trying to be a creative professional, if you are trying to raise a family or support yourself with creativity in this world, um, or stay sane. You, are, <laughs> you are going you are in for a life of struggle. Yeah. And that's okay, because struggle will make you a warrior, a spiritual warrior, and yeah. struggle will, but but be prepared for the journey because you're not going to get the nine to five and make 80,000 a year. And be prepared for people not understanding, even people who love you very much, and especially the people that love you very much. Because why wouldn't you go get a normal life and, and have a normal income and have that stable thing. It's very hard to explain to somebody, I don't know why. I know I'm a crazy person. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's a weird um, circle, right? Like it's, it doesn't match because sometimes, for example, the people, our loved ones and our parents are like, you're crazy, why are you doing this? And so it, it creates an insecurity that we're like, I don't know why, and we start to doubt ourselves. But the only time you really become a, a fantastic artist is when you realize that you've got this unique voice in you that's going to tell a story, whether you be acting it, whether you be writing it, whether you be painting it, that nobody else can tell. So you have to hone in on your uniqueness and worship it. Whereas everybody around us is going, you're fucking crazy. And, and so to be able to ignore that and focus in on your own divinity is like, if somebody's got a magic pill, share it with me because I want it. Amen to that as well. <laughs> ben Andrews, you are delightful. Thank you so much for your time. It's my honor. Thank you. This has been a really great conversation. You are another one of those people I feel like I could talk with for hours about. Yeah, I know. I was like, oh, it's already seven. We could go tell Tad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I always love talking about these type of things. Um, and I will be in touch. Great. You're going to be a guest at the summit. Oh, I'm very excited for that. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.